0: And welcome back to the Splitting Hairs podcast presented by Jack Illustrated. Uh, Matt here today for the third time this week. Uh, This is our fifth podcast of the week. We're super excited about that. And uh, joined today by Ben Fennell. Uh, Ben, uh, how are you today? I'm
1: doing fine. I appreciate you having me on. We're sitting here two weeks from the first round of the NFL Draft. You've done five shows this week. This is the time to pump out content and talk NFL Draft every day. So let's dive into it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. This is a crazy time for us with football taking place right now. Uh, We're also kind of diving into some other sports uh, for South Dakota State. So our women's soccer team's playing right now. Our softball team is wrapping up their season. Um, And yeah, we're on the cusp of FCS playoffs. So uh, busy, busy time. Uh, So Ben, just for those that don't know, uh, you yeah, I, they know from from me. I talk about you all the time. You're one of my favorite NFL and NFL draft minds. Uh, I put you right up there with uh, Dane Brugler and Matt Miller. You know, just of the of the NFL draft world. I just appreciate the work that you do. Um, where can people find your work and, and and what are you all putting out there?
1: So uh, I'm a kind of a jack-of-all-trades guy in the football media sphere. It gets to be a wordy business card when I run it all off. But you can always follow me uh, casually on Twitter at Fennel underscore NFL, where I like to tweet out a lot of the things that I work on during the season. I'm in the Philadelphia Eagles media department working on one of our weekly shows, Eagles Game Plan, previewing our matchups and our opponents, and then breaking the game down. Uh, with some articles, I write for the Athletic Wisconsin, doing some Packers film breakdowns. I'm sure some people out in uh, Jack Rabbit land follow the Packers as well. Uh, and then once the season ends, I come over to NFL Films in South New Jersey, start working on all that offseason content. So the Senior Bowl, the Combine, Pro Days, the Draft uh, keeps things fresh, keeps things new. I usually would be working with ESPN College Football during the season as well. Unfortunately, I didn't this past year because of COVID. Uh, so that's always refreshing to travel out to some schools and see some players Mm -hmm. up close, which obviously works really well with draft coverage. And I also went to a school with no football team in the middle of a city. So it's great to be able to go out to some of these meccas of college football and to see some real campuses. Uh, and then once the draft hits, I work on my golf game for a month or two before (laughs) I do it all again and keeps things fresh, keeps things fun. And, you know, uh, there's never a boring day.
0: Hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, if you're not following him on Twitter, uh, go ahead, give it, a, give him a follow. He's uh, wonderful content um, and breakdown. He was one of the first writers uh, that I saw that really hopped on the Cade Johnson bandwagon. It was last year about this time. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure I was following you for some Packers draft stuff and you start throwing out the name Cade Johnson for next year. Uh, and I thought that was pretty cool. What caught your eye about Cade? Well, his production, firstly,
1: and anytime I do any wide range production metrics of looking at receiver production over the last two years, three years, four years, I kept seeing this Kay Johnson mixed in with, you know, the CD lambs and the Jamar chases and Devonta Smiths. So he was doing something right in obviously a high volume sense. And then obviously I wanted to watch the tape and he has the most yards after catch per reception. Over the last three years combined, hmm. the next names on the list, Devonte Smith, Tutu Atwell, Omari Rogers, some pretty big time receivers. Um, the second most yards in 2018, 2019. It's kind of strange. I have to find some very niche years and metrics to make sure. it fair because he didn't play in the fall. Yep. So I can't just say this past year because he wouldn't be able to compete or the last two years. So if you look at 2018, 2019, his last two full seasons. Second most yards in FBS or FCS. Wow. But he's a guy that was able to win in so many different ways. He's mm-hmm. 5'11, 185 pounds, soaking wet, but he can win downfield. He can win after the catch, not just being elusive with speed, but breaking tackles like a running back. He's the mm-hmm. possession guy. He's that quarterback's best friend on third down. He's going to make the junk catches for you. But the most impressive thing, Matt, he is absolutely fearless fearless working over the middle, fearless working in traffic. He's going to be that quarterback's best friend. Now, my disclaimer to all that, we've seen some quarterback best friends come through college football that weren't successful in the NFL. The Dane Seisenbachers is out of Ohio State. The Jordan Shipley mm-hmm. out of Texas. Uh, Hunter Renfro has carved out a nice career with the Raiders after being that guy for the, for the uh, Clemson Tigers. I'm thinking, can he be a Danny Amendola for somebody? Hmm. and be that kind of possession weapon on third down. Um, yep. He's won a lot of different ways, and showing up down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, mm-hmm. he looked like he belonged, and he yep. carved up some pretty high-level recruits and some high-level corners. So I think that was the one that kind of made you sit up in your chair and said, this kid can do it against some better competition.
0: Yeah, and and the one thing that I that I think he has going for him, which I, I don't know if he's going to be ready day one, is the special team's ability. Um, it, it, I don't know how much, if you dove into his kick returning, uh, but I really think he's a special kick returner. And and last year, when he was our, you know, our number one receiver for the last two years, it was kind of that, uh, geez, do we leave him out there for kick return? He just, <laughs> do we want him to get dinged up? But that his sophomore year, right, soft, freshman year, when he was out there with, when we had Dallas Goddard and Jake Wenicky Um I mean, it was, he was there for every kick return, and it, it's fun to watch. He just has uh, that, that that pace to him, that explosiveness that that he can do it. And then uh, you mentioned the senior bowl. He had never been a gunner on punt before in his life, <laughs> and he goes out there and makes a tackle in the senior bowl. He beats his blockers and goes and, and does it. And I think that showed a lot for him, the kind of competitor he is.
1: You know, I don't want to always go to the low-hanging slot receiver, you know. Yeah. and But we've seen a lot of Julian Edelman highlights over the last couple of days since he's mm-hmm. decided to retire from the NFL. And a lot of people are reflecting back his first kind of season, that first training camp, that first preseason. He had a mm-hmm. sack. He played nickel corner.
0: <laughs> he had That's right. He had a punt uh-huh. return
1: touchdown. This could be the K. Johnson. And the way he plays on offense and the way he plays as a returner, He's that type of guy that just says, what do you want me to do? You want me to play corner today? Great. I'll go play corner. You want me to be a gunner? Great. I'll go be a gunner. He's the type of guy you want in your locker room and on your football team. He may Mm -hmm. not be a star day one, might not be day two, but he's a guy you want to build the bottom of your roster with.
0: Yep. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure you know this, but he was a walk-on at South Dakota state here, uh, similar to Goddard. His only offer, um, was to Mankato, Hmm. uh, you know, and that was a partial, just like they had given Thielen. and so um, yeah, he pretty cool story. So his brother's at Iowa now, and I guess his brother's go uh, had a great spring down at Iowa. So something to watch.
1: Yeah, it's um, interesting the uh, the kind of the stars that come from the northern Midwest part of the yeah. country because there's yep. some big time athletes that don't always get the star love they probably should, and you know yeah. we can talk Trey Lance here in a minute, who is another one that. I mean the big mm-hmm. schools like University of Minnesota said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, kid! You're not playing quarterback for us." You know, yeah. how good you were in high school. So there's always this little bit of side eye with the top
0: level players out there. Yeah. So get this. This is kind of a funny. We'll 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 transition to Trey here. But uh, so Trey went to NDSU. Obviously, his high school teammate Jefferson Lee, running back, uh, came to came to SDSU, and his high school teammate Je- Jefferson Lee. Um, had a hundred rushing touchdowns in his high school career, and he's just this little five nine, you know, just ball of fire. Um, so I just can't imagine Trey Lance and and Jefferson Lee on the same football field in high school. It just doesn't seem fair. So, uh, <laughs> well,
1: they were doing something right in that run game. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so, so what do you think about Trey? I saw yesterday you had a you had a reply to someone on Twitter, and they said. Sherry Lance not being a day one starter is the biggest myth out there and or something along those lines. And your reply was, well, he can be a day one starter, but that 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 da that. Da, 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 da. Well, the what next thing I
1: the next thing I had said there was give him a similar situation to what he was successful in college. Now, what was that situation? A run heavy scheme where they handed the ball off nearly 70 percent of the time in that uh, 2019 season. Dominant play-action, very play-action heavy. Number one scoring defense as well. Mm-hmm. Very cushy situation for a quarterback. I would put any quarterback in a in a run-first offense with a dominant defense. Yeah, those are some pretty good kind of situations to put a quarterback in. And my disclaimer on all the quarterbacks, none of them are saviors. None of mm-hmm. them are throw them the keys and say, go win us games and score us points. Justin Fields. Heavy under center, heavy play action. Zach Wilson, that BYU Mm O-line crushed people this year. Heavy run action, heavy play action. Um, Trevor Lawrence, heavy RPO game. And then obviously Mac Jones, we know what Alabama's about. They're going to run the football every down if they can and then work (laughs) the RPO game off of it. They all were products of their system. None of them were air raid, which air raid puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback. These are all quarterback-friendly situations. And that used to be a negative, but now the quarterback friendly systems are the ones winning a lot in the NFL. That's now a positive. You want your quarterback in a QB friendly system. Why would you want him having to execute high level throws on a down to down basis? Like the way Tom Brady does, which is very difficult to do. (laughs) So to answer your question there, kind of spin this back. If Trey Lance is in an offense, that's run first with a dominant o line and a good defense and a great situation. There's no reason why he couldn't start and play games like he did, you know,
0: last year for uh, North Dakota mm-hmm. State. Yeah, yeah. I think when we when Jackrabbit Nation thinks about Trey Lance, they think of him in this in the in the one sample game that we had in Brookings. Um, and I don't know if you watched that Brookings tape mm-hmm. or, or the SDSU tape, but he was not good that game. Um, a lot of overthrows, should have had a pick, uh, just didn't look comfortable in the pocket. Um, and so, so for us. It's like, what do you mean this guy's going to be a top 10 pick? Um, But then you look at his body of work throughout the season, and you look at the physical intangibles that he possesses, and it's like, okay, that makes a little more sense. But you have to get away from that one game against SDSU um, to, to really see that.
1: But that game, I think, was really important because that was the one flash that he had some adversity that season. Sure. I mean, I don't think he threw threw the ball over 25 times in a game more than twice. Mm
0: -hmm. Never Mm -hmm.
1: had to put the team on his back in the fourth quarter. Never really had to be the guy. Mm -hmm. And I think as you start to peel some layers of the onion, I kind of go the other way and say he had such a cushy atmosphere and environment there. He didn't have to be the guy. And as you start to look into the guy, his arm's okay. It's not a howitzer. He's a good athlete. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Cam Newton. You know, he's strong, but he's not going to truck defenders, as we did see him occasionally, you know, run over some people as a freshman. But I just think he's in a really good situation and managed the game really well. Um, And like some of the best aspects of his game, I wrote down, I love his ball handling. I love all that backfield action of giving fakes and being very calm with your back to the defense that we see quite often in the NFL on Sundays off a run action and being able to throw on the move and get on the edge of the defense with half field reads. And I think he'd be a great fit for a Kyle Shanahan type of offense. Um, sure. But I don't think he's a superhero by any means. And that's yep. the interesting thing of kind of dissecting these quarterbacks, whether it's Mac Jones or Justin Fields or any of these guys, they're not superheroes. So don't just throw them the organization and say, go win us games and get us points. You got to make sure they have situations to be successful and try to replicate how they were successful in college. Trey Lance, you better have a really good run game around this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like we were kind of talking a minute ago about things you don't see on the college field. Does that mean they can't do it? No. No, you just don't know. So can Trey Lance drop back 40, 50 times and throw it all over the yard? Possibly. That isn't how North Dakota State thought he could win, um, so I would like to keep a similar type of recipe for how he was 16 and 0 and an FCS national champion.
0: Sure, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. We'll go uh, next to his left tackle, Dylan Radens. Um, you know, had a had a very impressive senior bowl. Um, flipped from the right side to the left side, where he you know at, at NDSU uh, started for what two years um two and a half yeah Yeah, 33
1: starts or so yeah
0: yeah yep so uh what are your thoughts on dylan
1: he's really interesting because he's a powerful guy he's got the length um he's i think he's really good in the run game but he needs some sand in the pants he's only 300 Mm -hmm. pounds Uh, i think his pass pro needs a little bit of work he's a little too over aggressive at times a little too over eager Um, where he's shooting over his toes and really kind of getting off balance Mm. and lunging. So is there a way to protect him? Maybe slide him inside as he did at the senior bowl. He played quite a bit of guard and looked comfortable doing it. They even pulled him a few times on some power plays and he looked like a natural guard. And I was Mm. talking to my good friend, Greg Cosell, who does some great work here at NFL films with the matchup show, Mm -hmm. does a lot of draft coverage. And he said, you know what? Mitch Morse was a four year tackle for the university of Missouri. Went to the NFL, day one center. Hasn't looked back. Mm -hmm. Cody Whitehair, the left tackle for Kansas State. Goes to the NFL, day one center. So Greg Cosell kind of threw the idea of saying, I think Dylan Reitens might end up being a center when it's all said and done. But don't take that as a negative. I think we get so wrapped Mm -hmm. up in, oh, you don't think he's a tackle? He's a guard? Man, that's how could you slander him like that? Hey, they're all going to be millionaires, all right? You need yeah. two guards, you need a center. <laughs> you got to fill out the line here. So, I think maybe
0: guard would be a nice fit, but don't rule out center either. Yeah. Well, you know, that that follow a similar path to another uh NDSU Bison, uh Billy Turner, right? He's played guard, played tackle. Um I don't know if he's ever played center, but uh you know, some position position versatility in, and and uh, more you can do. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. So, Next guy, uh, is Joe fl-
1: still around? Is he still with uh, Indy?
0: Yeah, no, he's not in Indy anymore. Wasn't he in um, where did he go? He was somewhere different this year.
1: Yeah, there's um, a couple of Indy, uh, NDSU, uh, O linemen around the league.
0: Yeah, yep. Uh, I like so. The next guy we're going to talk about, Ben, is Ellerson Smith. Um, the edge from you and I. Uh, so you and I has had a lot of good pass rushers over the years, and two years ago when he came on the scene. I just remember watching the game and he was tormenting our right tackle. Like just, it was, it was so bad. And he looked like a basketball player out there. Um, He hadn't put on all this weight yet and really filled out his frame. Um, He maybe still hasn't yet, (laughs) but (laughs) he, he just looked like this skinny kid out there. And it was like, my goodness, Uh, it was unblockable. And then comes back last year, puts on some weight, and again, just dominates. Um, what are, what are you seeing with him? I'm hearing there's t- that, that uh, on one of the pad podcasts I listened to that teams are asking him about switching to tight end. Is that something that you've heard? Or
1: yeah, um, so I'm glad you brought him up because I am a huge Ellerson Smith fan. I think he yeah. is one of the studs of this group. He's not even a sleeper anymore. It's a, the the word is out on this kid. Mm-hmm. Um, He's long, he's explosive, he's springy, nearly 83-inch wingspan. You know how Jason Owe is blowing up right now for his potential, his upside for working out? Yep. Ellerson Smith did the same thing, just without the 40. Sure. So Owe ran 4'3. Ellerson, I think, was like a normal human being and ran it at like four yeah. six or four seven, as he should. But 41 and a half inch vertical with a 10-7 broad, 26 reps of 225 with 34 yeah. inch arms that doesn't typically happen if you have sure. long arms typically you're struggling to get them up a little bit even yep. if you are 300 pounds and he's 250 um yeah and he was a productive guy at 62 qb pressures in 2019 that was the fifth most not just in the fcs mm-hmm. but the fbs as well yeah. both of them so he was a productive <laughs> kid but he was a really prolific tight end all-state tight end coming out of high school at minneapolis south i believe mm-hmm. came to uh you and I at about 190 pounds. It yeah. was really just an athletic ball of clay uh, that started to put on some weight and starting to figure out this whole pass rushing thing. And he very quietly had one of the best weeks at the senior bowl, even in the sure. game. And I think he had a penalty on one of the plays. The mm. play was still outstanding. I didn't care about sure. it, but <laughs> he won outside. They even slid him inside as some three tech going against guards, Ooh. very springy out of his stance. And it's just making you think, huh. explosive, tall, long, 6'6", 250, former All-State tight end. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. Um, and that was actually something I had initiated the thought for Spencer Brown, the UNI tackle, oh, who we'll talk yeah. about in a minute, that some scouts have said, uh, who was also a guy that had to put on weight coming out of high school, came from about yep. 260, is now flirting with 290, 300. And there are some scouts that said, What if we just stopped him at 270 and made him an inline tight end as yeah. opposed to a tackle? Really? That's, that's <laughs> when Dane said, Hey, that's funny that you said that because I've heard scouts wanting Ellerson Smith, <laughs> also UNI, to go to the other side yep. of the ball, be tight end. So, yeah. Um, again, huh. you know, these players, the more you can do, we can talk at nauseum about players that flip sides of the ball and just sure. do whatever they could to find a home in the NFL. I don't think yeah. Ellerson Smith is that desperate because I think he's a really good edge-rushing prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if that comes down the pipe, it would be, uh, be fun to talk about it and reflect back on it.
0: Yeah. So one thing we haven't talked about uh, is, you know, in these mocks, where, where we think or project these guys to go. Obviously, Trey is going to be a top – Top yeah, five, going, top ten pick. Yep. Raiden's top sixty probably.
1: Yeah, Raiden's, I think, is probably going to round round three.
0: Oh, round three. Okay.
1: Yeah. I think um, the tackle group is just really deep. And if he's not gonna be a bona fide outside tackle for somebody, that might kind of lessen his value. Just, sure. just a tad,
0: yeah. That makes sense. So where are you seeing Ellerson Smith? Because when I when I do my my mocks on all the different things, he's going anywhere from fourth to sixth. Um in the mocks that I'm doing there. So I'm just curious what you have.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think he's going to be on the board after night two. And I think he'll be one of the coveted players early in the fourth round. Okay. But collectively this edge rushing group, there's some good prospects. It's not too top heavy, some Mm -hmm. good day one starters in that kind of 25 to 50 range. Some really good project players on day three and contributors but they are all over the place with the rankings. Nobody can figure out where people are sure. going <laughs> from Quiddy pay and Rousseau mm-hmm. and Jalen Phillips and Boogie Basham. And there's a lot of good players and people just can't find homes for them sure. uh, up and down the first round into the second round. So um, there could be a chance somebody covets an Ellison Smith and takes a chance on him in in round three. Yeah, uh, I think we're going to see some picks like that in the draft that yeah. said, you know what? We're choosing between Ellerson. And this guy, we don't know as well. We talked to Ellerson down at the senior bowl. We know him better. We know what we're getting. He's safer. Let's go with him. Sure.
0: That, that's going to happen a couple times this draft. Sure. With, with his, uh, nine, seven, one RAS. Uh, I think, I think he might be in play for the Packers. I'd love them to add a fourth <laughs> edge rusher there. So, <laughs> Yeah, all right. Let's switch it up and go to Spencer. To the and real quick the with
1: Ellerson, just my my negatives on him. Yeah. As you get with those taller prospects, his lower half just needs to get filled out a little more, a little stronger against the run. He can kind of get banged around a little bit. and doesn't have sure. that contact balance strength yet. More of a pass rushing presence than yep. an every down run player or anything like that. So still a developmental player, still getting stronger, but yep. he, he is a nice ball of clay to work with. Cool.
0: All right, Spencer Brown. Yeah, and Spencer, I mean,
1: same kind of thing. Raw prospect, had to put on tons of weight, tall, long, his lower half. I love doing the offensive line test. Look at their pants. If you're baggy in the butt, that's a bad sign. We need some butts on these guys. We need <laughs> sure. three trunk legs, and Spencer Brown is a baggy butt guy. It's tough being 6'8", 3'11", and to fill out your lower half. Mm-hmm. It's just how It's just how human nature is. It's just tough. To distribute that in that elongated frame and being that angular um yep. but he is long he is strong when he gets his hands on you he's gonna grip you torque you move you finish you into the ground he's got a mean streak to him mm-hmm. he's just so raw he could take two steps and then just panic and say i'm gonna just figure this play out hmm and just try to be a natural athlete and he'll cross over step and uh, yep. karaoke and he'll click and just be a natural athlete. Hey, sometimes the bullets are flying out there. I got to figure it out. Um, yep. This technique isn't working for me or whatever it is. So he's again, another guy with a developmental kind of angle to him. I thought his senior bowl week was a little lackluster. I thought he had a couple good reps where he showed that physicality, that willingness to be nasty and play to the whistle. He also got put on his butt in the kind of the highlight of the week by uh Dalen Hayes with a bull rush. And a lot of oh, people worry, yeah. worry yeah. about his ability to anchor against NFL power mm-hmm. uh, and without that strong lower half and that butt filled out and you're an elongated frame. It's tough to sink down and anchor down. So he's going to have some kind of natural things working against him. That's why maybe poking around the tight end and losing 20, 30 sure. pounds again, isn't the craziest idea. And there's a tight end of the league, Lee Smith, who we probably don't know because he's not on anyone's fantasy teams because <coughs> he doesn't catch a ball. <laughs> but he's essentially the Mercedes Lewis-like, but more okay. of a true tackle. He played for the Bills, and he was on the Raiders. But he's 280, 285, tight end. Huh. They know what Lee Smith does. Lee Smith's mm-hmm. a blocking tight end. So there's a, there's a
0: place for that in the NFL, too. Okay. And and with uh, that, that vertical that Spencer put up the other day, did you see that tape? I did Did he put up a good one? Yeah, he uh I forget the exact number, but it was a standing jump on top of a block, up to a block. Um and just nuts for a man that size to be able to to explode up and get that type of height. Well, it's so. good to
1: see the lower, you know, the lower body explosion still. Obviously the the basketball background is gonna help him uh yeah. with just his foot quickness and just being a really balanced player, you know, just being that low post rebounder and being yeah. able to handle a little bit more contact than Ellerson and, and his kind of thin frame, but uh, yeah, Spencer's a tough one to figure out, again, where he goes in the draft. I think he's a bona fide day three player. Sure. He could, he could go in the fourth round. He could go in the seventh round. I'll have the same reaction.
0: Sure, sure. <laughs> All right, let's go to a guy that I don't know a ton about because when we played Illinois State, uh, he just didn't flash. And this is Christian Upoff. He was part of a very good defense for the Redbirds. And when I heard he was opting out of his senior season, and then got an invite to the Senior Bowl, it—I I had to go back and look. Like, who is this guy? Uh, what do you know about Christian Upoff at this point?
1: Um. So he's a really interesting player. And now, first thing, Illinois State. Yes, Illinois State. But they've been pumping out some players in the NFL consistently oh, yeah. lately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. James Robinson was pretty much mm-hmm. their lead back last year, being an undrafted guy. Uh, Luther Kirk uh, has mm-hmm. carved out a decent career. I think Romeo McKnight transferred over there. But yep, anyways,
0: Yeah, yeah where did yeah, he end up? Huh? Uh, <laughs> I think he
1: went there, and then he went to Charlotte, I think. But anyways, uh, yeah, Christian yeah. Upoff is a guy. He looks the part. I yep. thought I was getting ready to watch another Jeremy Chin type of player. Sure. 6'2", 210, 215, long limbs, kind of rangy, plays that deep middle, clicking close, he's twitchy, He can kind of make plays all over the field. Um, but I just felt like he was such an unreliable tackler. Uh, being sure. that last line of defense, particularly that South Dakota State game, I think he missed a couple tackles on K Johnson on some of those mm-hmm. quick game screen concepts, and he just whiffed. Um, he drops his head too often. He tries to use his arms too often, but he's a good-looking athlete, and he could cover some tight ends. He could blitz for some teams. He could stick his nose in and run support and throw his body around. I just don't love him or trust him as a back end safety and being that last line of defense. But he has decent size at 6'2", 210. He might be one of these guys that's the special assignment Navy SEAL type uh, guy, sure. You know, and as NFL guys say. Offenses are pumping out more unicorns. The only, sure. way to, the only way to defend a unicorn is with a unicorn.
0: Sure. Uh,
1: so, Christian Upoff might be one of those guys to say, you know what? We don't have a whole lot of roles for you, but if you can erase the tight ends of the world, maybe match mm-hmm. up against the Gronk to the Kyle Pitts, that's your value. Mm-hmm. Um, he's yeah. going to have to be a guy that obviously uh, works his way up through special teams and yep. makes his roster that way. Just a little disappointed average tester. Um, didn't really blow us away so that kind of uh, flew the jeremy chin
0: kind of comp out the window yeah i mean he really his ras was just a 625 so very average yep so uh, his teammate though um, drew himmelman is one that decided to play this fall or spring (laughs) spring season um, and then illinois state shut down their season and right i think the week right after illinois state had their pro day too so it was just really terrible timing uh but i think himmelman was still there to visit with teams maybe not work out cuz he hadn't been training for it i think was the story um i i really like himmelman personally uh and and i maybe you don't but i i i thought in my opinion um watching them play the last year i liked himmelman over brown but you know, the Valley was blessed with some really good tackles, obviously, with three of them on this list uh, that are in the draft. So
1: Yeah, just to be full disclosure here, I don't really love either of them, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. I think the tall guys have some natural, uh, you know, kind of kinesiology working against them. Sure. Um. Obviously, we don't want the short, stumpy guys either, so it's kind of finding that right middle ground. But I like Drew Himmelman, but... I'd probably like him to get the neighborhood cat out of the tree for the fire department. You know, he's, he's 6'10", 325. He's a freak show. I mean, you just don't sure. make them that big. That's not that traditional. Uh, even getting into Spencer Brown being 6'8", 6'9", is pretty freakish. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Doyle at Miami, Ohio, yep. he's 6'8". Stone Forsyth at Florida is 6'8". There's a bunch of behemoths in this draft that tackle. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who takes them and if they can survive. Drew Himmelman, another guy just raw, Converted basketball player out of high school mm-hmm. and was a tight end prospect in high school, uh, and tried to kind of make his way up as as an offensive lineman in college. He survived for the most part. He's a very raw player. Mm-hmm. You just get worried that you know that that tall frame, and he's 24 years old already. So he's sure. not this young ball of clay that is some twenty-one year old that we feel like we could still shape mm-hmm. and mold. He kind of is what he is at this point. But um, if an offensive line coach and can get his hands on him, and he has a very, you know, strong propensity to be coachable and do the right things and be taught, you know, the right way, he could carve out a role. He could be done after one day for all I know. Yeah, uh, he's a guy. I haven't I haven't dove into too much, but uh, very interesting player
0: yeah it i i really had forgotten about him being in the draft uh, that he was going to be i mean and it's a deep the day, tackle
1: class it's easy to yeah it's easy to forget about the drew yeah. of the world
0: yeah right uh and and i was i think i was in the draft network in their mock simulator and Himmelman him Himmel, name was there towards the top of the board like in the sixth round and i thought no way something's wrong with your <laughs> like but that's i added him quick to the list before i sent it to you um just <laughs> It just was weird. It's just um, such
1: a, t- a deep tackle class. Like I, You would be taking him over some more ready players, in my opinion. And
0: yeah. this could
1: be a record year for tackle guards combined. There might yep. be 40, uh, which Oof. I think there was 34 in 2015. And uh, I think we could be pushing 40. And not a minute too soon because the NFL needs it. They were yeah. picking guys up off the street last year and throwing them into lineups, and they need starters, they need depth, they need competition, and they need it now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I do want to – we should have said this from the beginning because this is a point that you've made on uh, other shows that I've listened to, that just because uh, that you're critical of a player or don't love them as a prospect <laughs> doesn't mean you're not cheering for them. right? Like, like you've said, you hope all of these players end up having Hall of Fame careers. Or, you know, I, I am so. <laughs> as
1: serious saying that as anything as I've ever said. Mm-hmm. I yeah. truly, truly believe that. And people have called me on. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't really think they're all. It's not that I think they're going to be Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. I want them to all be the as successful as possible. Yep. I, I told you off air. I went to a college with uh, no football team. I have no allegiances. I have no alliances. I don't care who wins and loses at the, at the next level. I want them all to do really well. I'm just trying to give a fair assessment on what I see. What do they do well? What do they struggle with? What is my projection? And if I don't like them, I hope they prove me wrong. You know, and and it's as simple as that. I think the guys that get so vested in their opinions are toxic to the industry. Because it's not about your opinion. It's about being fair in assessing the prospect. And I think we just get so emotional in being attached to our opinions. Uh, where it's just, you know, it doesn't have to be a personal thing. Just say very, you know, um, you know, athletically, you know, their profile and you don't have to be so emotional and dramatic about it. I just feel like we get so, so, uh, sensationalized with our opinions on these young players.
0: Oh, sorry there, Ben. No, it's all, place, good. all good. All good. All right. So now we're going to dive into uh, the guys that left the Valley and uh, sought playing time elsewhere um, in the FBS. So first up, the guy that's probably experienced the most success, Jabril Cox. Uh, we saw him for uh, three years here at SDSU, uh, played all over the field, made plays all over the field. Uh, the one well, 2018, when we beat them in Brookings, he was suspended for the first half of the game uh, for a targeting, ped- targeting penalty uh, the week prior. Um, but then when he came back in the second half, we definitely felt his presence. So um, what, what do you know about Jabril?
1: Jabril's a really interesting player, super athletic. He's high cut, long limb, excellent working out in space, as he did in North Dakota State, very often detached from the formation as far out as playing over the receivers near the numbers where he looked like a defensive back out there, uh, has the coverage skills, not only in man coverage, but zone coverage, the ball skills when it arrives, the pursuit, the effort all over the field. The issue with uh, Louis, uh, excuse me, LSU, which LSU defense was night and day from 2019 to 2020, they obviously had a huge turnover from the national championship team, a lot of young players still learning the new system. He didn't have a good year at LSU, in my opinion, particularly oh. against the run. Uh, they moved him to more of a true will linebacker position. So he's playing in the box much more consistently than he did at North Dakota state. And he just wasn't that instinctive guy. He wasn't the most willing to be the take on physical guy. He didn't get to play in those open pastures. Uh, mm-hmm. that we talk about a lot with linebackers and being country players or city players, city mm-hmm. players, you want in tight spaces, you want in the box, you want mix, and mixing it up in gaps with offensive linemen, country players, You want an open spaces, big pastures, out out detached from the box. Jabril Cox, in my opinion, is a country player. I want him in space. I want him to be able to use that athleticism and the natural fluidity to his game using as much space as possible. I think once you get in confined spaces and he can't really tap into that athleticism, you start to see he's a bit of a liability with his physicality. His best plays at LSU this past year, all in coverage. Really nice play flipping his hips against Mississippi State where he had a pick six. Nice play reading the eyes of Felipe Franks at Arkansas in zone coverage where he had an interception. And we know it's a pass game, and everyone's looking for linebackers that can cover. So he's got a great skill set there, but is he going to be too much of a liability against the run to be a true Hmm. Mike or Will linebacker? I'm not willing to say he won't be a safety at the next level. I know he's 232 pounds, 6'3", there's a couple guys also in the safety category with similar roles and skill sets. Divine sure. Diablo at Virginia Tech is 6'3", 225. Jeremiah Ousu koromoa mm-hmm. at Notre Dame. He might be 6'3", 218. He's got the chest that looks like he's 240. He looks like a linebacker. He looks like Nick Bolton. Uh, but these are all guys that excel in space
0: and in playing
1: in space. So Jabril Cox is a guy that I think I want in space. And unfortunately didn't have his workout at his pro day because of his hamstring. So we didn't get to salivate over a four, four time or some sort of explosive test. Um, There's some scouts that think he could be Telvin Smith who Telvin Smith was this skinny 215 pound safety out of Florida state and ended up being a really nice linebacker for the Jaguars for a number of years and retired a couple of years ago. But Jabril's already 232; He's already got the size. He just needs to play it, play like
0: it, and play a little tougher. Sure. And I, I believe, didn't he reschedule a pro day now for three days before the draft or something? I'm not going to lie
1: to you. It's been kind of tough to keep up with the pro days. Sure. So I, I I kept up with the first wave of them, but now you're getting second ones and guys doing them on their own and Yeah, it's it's there's a lot of moving parts this this draft cycle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I I read somewhere that he's doing a, a pro day. Three days before the draft, which just seems super risky to me, he might but, as
1: well do it on the stage in Cleveland, like, yeah,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, next guy is Justice Reed, uh, Florida Youngstown State, and finished this year at Virginia Tech.
1: I mean, that's the whole report right there. I mean, this guy, yeah.
0: really interesting. Uh,
1: he's part of the 2014 recruiting class. Now, mm-hmm. I can go back and list some names. Not going to, but there's a bunch that have been in the league for three or four years. Uh, So he's an older prospect. I think he's 25 years old. He was given two extra years of eligibility, which to get one is rare. He got two. So there's always a reason for that. Torn ACL, Achilles, some major injuries. That's why he went from Florida to Youngstown and played 2020 at Virginia Tech. And actually played pretty solid this past year. He had 36 QB pressures, nine sacks. Was a really productive (laughs) player for them. But the caveat to that is he's 25, and he should be beating up on some 21s and you know 20-year-olds out there. Yeah. So he, he should be. That's what it should look like. He did it. Hopefully, he's ready to play. Hopefully, he's healthy. I'm not a mm-hmm. doctor. I haven't seen his medical report. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor. Um, but if he's more mature physically and mentally and maybe has a little bit more ready to him at 6'3", nearly 260, I could see him maybe squeeze in and, uh, you know, being a nice priority free agent for somebody. Sure.
0: And then um, a guy that drew a lot of comparisons uh, two, three years ago, three years ago now, because he got hurt two years ago um, in the season opener. Um, Briley Moore drew a lot of comparisons to Dallas Goddard um, mm-hmm. in the Valley, in the fan bases and stuff. Um, just three years ago. I mean, he was just a freak in the open field. Um, sure. Made some made some really cool catches, not, none like Dallas. Uh, but it was someone that no one was surprised when he looked to the FBS. Um, but also this year, I didn't hear a ton about him. What What are you hearing about Briley Moore?
1: Well, he's a really interesting tight end. He's really more in that kind of H back, fullback type of type of role, where I doubt he's gonna have his hand in the turf next to a tackle. He's probably going to be in that wing position. Might even be in the fullback position. Really similar to kind of how Brevin Jordan was used at university of Miami. Same thing. Six, three, six, four, two 250 Um, reminds me a little bit actually of Dustin Keller that, uh, came out of Purdue went yeah, to the jets yeah. years back. I don't know if you remember the Packers traded that end of first round pick to the jets for them to come in and get Dustin Keller. Yep. It might happen again this year. They might be trading out at 29. We'll see. But, okay. uh, Bradley Moore at 64 240. I know you said he made some really impressive catches three years ago, but then he goes quiet and he's really not featured in the offense. And I think he had the injury in 2019, just when he was Mm -hmm. going to be featured apparently as an upperclassman. Um, So you didn't ever get to see that, but he had 36 catches and two touchdowns in four years at UNI. And he goes to Kansas state and has 22 and three touchdowns in one season. So I think it was just an opportunity for him to be a little bit more of a feature player at a higher end program but he's tough. Uh, He's going to block for you. I don't think he's a vertical stretch guy. I don't think he's the most dynamic Mm -hmm. with the ball in his hands. He's going to make some tough catches over the middle, but I think he's going to get on the field because he could block for you. and I think he's going to be able to catch some things off of play action. I don't love his athleticism. He's a little stiff, but that's okay. I don't think we're going to be designing screens to him or saying, hey, go win vertically down the field. He's a guy that's going to block you block you block you and then ole you and catch it in the flat and hopefully get up the sure. field for a first down sure. um kind of like a poor man's tommy tremble this class oh, really? coming out of another name right. okay. tommy yeah, is yeah. probably one of the better uh blocking h-backs i've seen the last five years coming out of college mm-hmm. uh brawley Moore is probably the sixth seventh round version of that and tommy tremble is more
0: of a three four yep sure cool huh that uh I mean, I just took a peek now and his RAS is actually a nine Oh two. So okay, kind yeah, of good, surprised workout, good workout. Yeah. Right. So um, let's go ahead and talk just a little bit about uh, junior at SDSU right now. Someone that you had also mentioned last spring when you I think you're watching Cade's tape. You must've been. Um, but then you also mentioned him earlier this um, this winter when SDSU was having their their first game of the season against you And I. And that's uh, Pierre Strong Jr. What can you tell us about PS2, as we like to call him?
1: Oh, that's a great nickname. Uh, he's a really interesting player. I mean, he had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, 2018, 2019. But it wasn't just that he had 1,000-yard seasons. He had a high volume of touches. So he had over 200 carries. In average, over seven a carry. So it's not like he got a small amount of touches and broke a couple home runs. He got a lot of touches and was consistently productive on those. So from 2018 to 2019, running backs with 200 carries and a 7-5 average,
0: mm-hmm. there was four. Okay. FBS
1: and FCS, there were four. Travis Etienne, Daryl Henderson, mm-hmm. uh, I think Kennedy Brooks. I wrote down Brooks. I can't remember what running back Brooks that is. But anyways, and Pierre Strong. There's four <laughs> guys. It's pretty good company right there. Um, he caught a vertical ball against Minnesota. Was pretty good mm-hmm. in the screen game. Kickoff returner. This guy is dynamic in the open field. I just wrote down here in red in his report: needs more involvement in pass game. Exclamation point! Mm-hmm. Give this guy the ball any way you can. Um, I haven't watched his tape in 2020 or 2021, whenever his team played. Um, and this is a team that nearly beat Minnesota in Mm -hmm. 2019 I think they lost 28 21 I was there yeah, and that was a loaded that's that's a loaded Minnesota team that wasn't like a rollover team or anything early in the season that was a very competitive team with Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman and Mm -hmm. um some pretty good players on both sides of the ball Mm -hmm. um but Pierre Strong yeah really good really good player um I haven't heard if he decided to come out or go back but yeah he's excited to see his tape uh this past year
0: yeah so he he's he uh uh, well, SDSU hasn't played in a month because of COVID issues, uh, but their season's still going on. And this Saturday, actually, uh, at 2.30, SDSU plays NDSU up in the Fargo Dome. So there'll be a lot of prospects on the field. So if you want to tune in, it'll be on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, but Pierre, actually, against Youngstown State, uh, turned his ankle pretty good. And so he sat out against Southern Illinois, um, and then we had three games in a row canceled due to COVID. So – uh he's, he's he's supposedly healthy now, hundred percent. As we go up into Fargo, so we'll see what he can do against that Bison defense, which is always is always tough. So, yeah, I'm yeah. looking up,
1: looking up really fast who that Brooks was on the. Uh... Sure.
0: Oh, actually, <laughs> I, actually, I only have three running backs
1: on it. Two two hundred carries, averaging seven five from 2018 to 2019. Travis Etienne, Daryl Henderson, Pierre Strong. Only three guys, okay. and Daryl Henderson's currently in the NFL with the Rams. Yep. Travis Etienne's going to be a top fifty player.
0: Yep, Pierre Strong could be next. Yes, sure. I like that. Sure, yeah. So you've mentioned also, or um, maybe not mentioned, but I-, I mentioned to you beforehand that we're in we're in Vikings country out here. Um, a lot of Packer fans also. Uh, Can I pick your brain while I have you here? Who do you think the Vikings may be targeting and also maybe the Packers? Who do you think would be a good fit in those first round selections for those two teams? So Vikings Packers round one. Yeah. Yep. So the
1: Packers are really interesting. I think the conversation around corner is kind of overblown. I think having Kevin King there is that reliable veteran presence. It's a low stress scheme on the corners. It's zone (laughs) base, a lot of off coverage, don't let the ball over your head and tackle the ball in front of you. That's pretty much the responsibility of the corners. However, incredibly stressful in the safety position in Green Bay. Mm. What Joe Barry had last year in L.A. with John Johnson and Jordan Fuller was incredible at safety. Very stressful in that quarter scheme because they play shallow. They have run responsibilities. They essentially have to fill like linebackers while still being back-end players and you know being coverage players and safeties. They survived last year with the Rams – with Micah Kaiser and Troy Reader at linebacker. Okay. Who? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so those safety spots are very important. I want to move Darnell Savage to the nickel spot where Shannon Sullivan mm-hmm. played, and I like Adrian Amos in that role. I think there's a big void next to him, though. Uh, so I'd love to see them address that safety position with somebody. I don't know if there's going to be a first-round player. Maybe Trayvon Murray got a TCU. Mm-hmm. Maybe they like uh, – You know, uh, Richie Grant at UCF uh, is more of day two players. Uh, Talanoa Hufanga, Divine Diablo, Virginia Tech, Jamie and Sherwood at Auburn. Any one of those safeties I think would be good fits. I just want an RPO weapon on the offense. So that 29th overall pick for the Packers with the horizontal pass game of LaFleur, all the RPOs, the quick games, the receiver screens, the manufactured completions. LaFleur does not ask his receivers to get themselves open. Mm-hmm. it's a very receiver friendly scheme. So what I need, if we're not going to ask you to get yourself open, you need to be a dog with the ball in your hands. So I would love okay. to see a Kadarius Tony, a Rondell yep. Moore, uh, an Elijah Moore. Even later on, you want to get a Murr Smith-Marset out of Iowa or mm. a Jalen Darden out of North Texas who's kind of sleeper. Or you want to get a running back and put them out there like Demetric Felton or Kenneth That's Gainwell, that. which we call slotbacks whether you're a Mm -hmm. slot receiver or a running back, love to see one of those yards after catch threats uh, added to LaFleur's offense. But safety, we can use a a trench player on the defensive side, an RPO Mm -hmm. weapon on the offensive side. That offensive line is looking very dangerous at this moment Uh with David Bakhtiari injured and not a whole lot Mm -hmm. of depth behind them. And ever since Bulaga left last spring, all they've done, sign Rick Wagner. In the draft, they signed a bunch of interior guys like John Runyon and Jake Hansen mm-hmm. and the uh, Staniak from Indiana. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of tackle depth. One tackle goes down, it's trouble in paradise. And our stud left tackle likely won't be starting the season. Do yep. not neglect the trenches. Do yep. not neglect the offensive line. That will kill a competitive team. We've seen mm-hmm. it in Green Bay. We've seen it around the league. So mm-hmm. I get very worried at that tackle spot. In round one, if they want to go Brady Christensen, if they want to go Liam Eikenberg, Walker Little, for mm-hmm. all I care, Samuel Cosme, get a tackle this class. They got oh, zero, zero last class in a deep tackle yep. class. You yep. cannot go two straight tackle classes with a goose egg Yeah, and no veteran presence, which I would have at least yeah. gotten an insurance policy off the street.
0: Is Dennis Kelly still up there?
1: I think he is. I think he since yeah. left the Titans. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he could be a viable option. I think uh, Veld here might be an option or willing to come <laughs> yeah. back. Um, there's a couple options out there, but this is a deep tackle group. You know, don't yeah. pay for depth. Go draft some young guys, get some competition. And next thing you know, maybe you got another, you know, day three, David Bakhtiari, you know, hey, like we, we did a couple of years ago.
0: So uh, yep. the Packers could go a number of directions here in round one. Cool. Yeah, uh, while, while you're looking up some Viking stuff, I, uh, I, I've i stolen your term or, or co-opted your term maybe of uh, roster negligence when you talk <laughs> about the, the offensive tackle position. I've used that for the Jacks uh, once or twice. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just
1: it's, it's not a position. It, the depth is always tested. You have to make sure you're prepared. It's going to be tested at some point. And the roster negligence is just the – lack of preparing for that situation in my opinion and the caveat to that is Billy Turner blew me away last year with his play at tackle I did not think he was going to be able to survive at tackle he's built like a refrigerator with wearing cleats he does not look like a tall athletic angular tackle that would be successful in the NFL but neither was Bulaga so Mm -hmm. he was kind of an outlier look as well and I know some people are saying well just slide Elton Jenkins out there he can do it I want Elton Jenkins at guard. I think you get the most bang for your buck as far as what he could provide for the run game, pass, bro, screen game, out to the perimeter. Center position is such a kind of a limited spot there as far as his impact Mm -hmm. in the run game and tackle. I just get a little bit worried with him and then having to convert. He's a Pro Bowl guard. Let's keep him as a Pro Bowl guard. Yep, yep, yeah. So Vikings. The Vikings. These Vikings are an interesting group here as last year. They were a mess last year. Obviously, they had a lot of turnover on defense. They tried to hit reset at the cornerback position with all the young Mm -hmm. guys and Gladney and Dantzler and Mike Hughes moving on from Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes, who somehow had good seasons with their new teams. (laughs) um, But the issue, the the tough thing with the Vikings were they didn't have a full deck last year. I mean, Mm Daniel Hunter wasn't ready and healthy. They lost uh, the big D tackle, Michael Pierce. Yeah, they signed Michael Pierce because they needed a run plugging one tech and he opted yep. out for COVID, which he was well within his right, but they spent big money on him in free agency to be a contributor. You take that away, it's not gonna look the same, you know? Yep. Anthony Barr. Re- yeah tough to replace lot. that. Anthony Barr, no question. Yep. Uh actually yep. Philly, we just signed Eric Wilson that we're pretty excited about. Nice versatile player that was able to get good experience last year because mm-hmm. Anthony Barr and some other guys were out. Um yeah, but this Vikings team could go a number of different directions. I think uh, finding that safety spot next to Xavier uh, next to Harrison Smith is going to be really important as well. I still believe in the young corners. Interesting to see Patrick Peterson over here now um, mm-hmm. with Mike Zimmer, but to get a little bit more of a better presence out there. Um, but I think a lot of Vikings fans in the community are kind of looking on the offensive side of the ball and looking at, you know, Rashad Hill pegged in at left tackle right now and Dakota mm-hmm. Dozier at left guard. And, questioning is Garrett Bradbury worthy of that first round pick? Can he be upgraded? And mm-hmm. um, I there's a lot of people in the league that didn't think Ezra Cleveland was ever going to be a guard and he played guard last year. So I know they need to dedicate some to the offensive line. They need starters. They need depth. Um, there's a couple things they can use. And I also want to throw out a little more competition for that quarterback as well. Make mm-hmm. sure you keep, keep pushing him forward. And uh, if maybe a, Davis Mills or Kellen Mond sitting there in round two or round three. Mm. Is that a type of quarterback, you know, to maybe add to the mix there?
0: Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I'm, you know, I just, made, the, a lot, I just said,
1: made a lot of that up. Does that make sense? No, yeah,
0: that, that makes a lot of sense. Offensive line, I think is where, is where they got to be headed. Um, a yeah. little more diversity,
1: uh, little more diversity yeah. in their skill players too. There's yeah, such sure. a 21, 12 personnel offense, which means there's usually mm-hmm. only two receivers on the field. So like it was Diggs and Thielen and now it's Thielen and Jefferson. You need that third consistent presence. So is it going to be B.C. Johnson? Is it Chad Beebe? I don't know. I don't know. I think you could find (laughs) one of these dynamic slots. Now this draft is pretty deep. We just listed Mm off 10 of them. Grab somebody with more of a diverse, contrasting skill set to Jefferson and Thielen that maybe works over the middle of the field a little bit more. Maybe just makes Kirk Cousins' life a little easier. Get the ball out of his hands. Let the guys do the dirty work on the outside. And will you throw the ball to Dalvin cook? This guy will be the best running back in the NFL. If they truly Uh, feature him, if they truly feature him, he will be the best running back in the NFL.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely uh, someone that I wanted the Packers to, to take a look at uh, when he came out. So yeah, Ben, thank you so much for this last hour. Uh, I just, so appreciate your time. Um, I, I hope, um, you know, folks recognize nationally the talent that's in the Missouri Valley. Um, and I hope for players, the current players, uh, future future recruits, um, that they just recognize that the teams are aware of Missouri Valley football um, and that there are consistently year in and year out now uh, players that are getting drafted in the top three rounds from the Valley. And that's, that's pretty cool. So thank you, Ben. Anything, any last thoughts?
1: No, I, I love studying these FCS guys. I don't want to say they're the forgotten group, but in comparison to FBS, they kind of are. And to my message and kind of my billboard to players out there, whether you're in D1, D2, D3, FCS, NAIA, eight man football, Canada, overseas, Matt, play your game. The NFL will find you. So many guys get worried about their situation and where they are. Play your game. If you excel, the NFL will find you. I promise you.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Ben, for your time. Uh, Hopefully, maybe we can do this again in uh, 2022 after a normal football season. I thought
1: we were doing hour two. I thought that was (laughs) just
0: all right. Thank you.
1: Take care, Matt.